Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. The life of a religious Hebrew during the time of the Lord Jesus was a very difficult life. For a person to devote their life to repentance from all of their sins and obedience to all of the commandments of God would require a tremendous amount of effort, would require a tremendous amount of conviction and sincerity and determination in order to live in the way that was described by our God through Moses, through the law of Moses. In order to live that way would require an incredible amount of effort and devotion. And the Pharisees were people who believed that they had found a way to finally live in obedience to all of the commandments of God. They sincerely believed that, and they accomplished that by creating another set of commandments that they would live by, which defined a way of life, a lifestyle, that they believed that if they would simply live this way, if they would live this lifestyle, then they would never come within the boundaries of violating any of the laws of Moses, and they would be obedient to their God in all ways concerning the law that was expressed through Moses. And so the Pharisees were a very sincere people. They were a very devoted people, and they were recognized as such. They were definitely recognized as people who were very sincere, who were truly wanting to have a right relationship with their God. And when the Messiah came, and there were people who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, we know that many of those Hebrews who believed in Jesus then continued to live a Pharisaical way of life, a Pharisaical way of life in the sense of living a life repenting from all of their sins and obeying all of the commandments of God. We know that this was a life that many of the Hebrews led, especially the Hebrews who were in Jerusalem. This was expressed very well in Acts chapter 15, as an example, that in Acts chapter 15, the Jews there, who were recognized as the church, still believed that if you were a Jew, you should be circumcised. If you were a Gentile, you didn't have to be necessarily. But if you were a Jew, it was recognized that surely you would still do that. There were many other laws that people lived by that they really believed that that was how they were to live. There were Pharisees who believed in Christ Jesus, who believed that they should continue to live a life in obedience to the law. And when Paul returned from his missionary journeys, he returned to Jerusalem. He certainly had a big confrontation with the Hebrews there in Jerusalem, in Israel, who still believed this, who still believed that they were to live a life according to the Old Covenant. Now, I believe that this letter to the Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul after he left Jerusalem, after he was taken as a prisoner to Rome. He certainly never returned, and I do believe that he wrote this letter to them when he was there as a last final effort to try to reach out to them and encourage them to make this transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. But for the most part, from what we understand from the historical records that we have, they never really made that transition. 
they kind of stayed in between the two, or they tried to hang on to both of them simultaneously, and as a result, they never really got a hold of the message of the Apostle Paul when he spoke about the new life in Christ Jesus and being guided by the Holy Spirit as opposed to being led by the law. Things like that they were never really able to encounter. I do believe that they were certainly saved and that they do have a place in the kingdom of heaven, and I anticipate that I'll see them when I arrive as well. But that doesn't mean that when they were here, they matured as he did, because I don't see any evidence that they really did. But something that's very important to recognize is that this was a life that they lived. They lived a life of great devotion. And for many of these people, it was a life of works. And I mean religious works. And these works required effort. They really did require effort. And to continue to live a life this way, even in light of all of the suffering that you would experience through not being able to indulge your flesh, of course, but also through not being able to participate in a lot of other things, you certainly would never experience any peace or rest. And so you would always be living, hoping that one day that you would achieve it, always striving, always reaching out for something that you could never obtain. To them, this was a race. To them, this was a lifelong experience that they would continue to live and endure, that this was something that they would endure, not necessarily something that they would enjoy. They would endure all of this with the promise that one day they would either enjoy something or in the future they would enjoy something greater with their God. So it was because of future promises that people were devoted to the law. They were devoted to living a life of obedience to the commandments that, of course, they could never they could never do this. But people believed that they would eventually achieve something which they never did. But this was described as something that they would pursue and that a person would have to have endurance to pursue this. That these are important words that had meaning to the people then. And I believe that this meaning is something that we need to understand. That to the life of a Hebrew, they had this perspective of endurance. But the writer of this letter to the Hebrews begins Hebrews chapter 12 with another concept of endurance. That there is another endurance that we need to live by. And that is an endurance of believing in what our God has done for us not relying on what we think we are going to do for him, that this is a different kind of endurance. And I want you to keep that in mind as I go through Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, if you were a Hebrew at the time when this letter was written, you could easily read that and assume that this speaks of the sins of your flesh. You can easily assume that, but I don't think that's what he's saying, and I'll explain that in just a minute. First of all, though, I want to talk about this notion that if you assume that this has to do with the sins in your life, like most people assume, like the Hebrews would certainly assume if that was their bias back then, then I want you to understand where this is going to lead you. This is going to lead you to a point of despair. It should lead you to a point of despair. And if it doesn't, then the only thing that I personally can say about that is that you just didn't take the commandments of God very seriously. You don't really run the race that he is describing. Because if you would, it would eventually 
take you to the end of this race, the end of the finish line, which is the finish line of recognizing that you truly are absolutely hopeless and helpless, and you really need the mercy of God. See, let me put it to you this way. If you were to assume that this is referring to the sins of the flesh, okay, and what I mean by that is the sins that are described in the law of Moses, you know, do not touch, do not taste, do not do this, do not do that, make sure you do this and make sure you do that. If you're referring to those kinds of sins, then that gives you a race that is going to be very similar to that of the Pharisees. That's what it's going to turn into. Eventually, if you were to be as sincere, if you were to be as devoted as they were, then I do believe that whatever you would conjure up, whatever you would define as your way of life, would have to look something like what they did. Something similar, certainly not identical, but it certainly would look very much like that. But I don't believe that that's the sin that he's referring to. If we were to assume that was the case, then... All you can do is continue to live a life of repentance and obedience, a life that you will never be able to live. Now, that's about all that I'm going to say about it right now. Instead, I'm going to defer you to the series of programs that I did titled Overcoming Sin. I believe that that would be a good follow-up to this particular point of view, that if you want to look at it from that perspective, that that is the race that you run, then let's talk about how you are going to overcome sin. And in those series of programs that I did, which is three programs specifically, and a fourth one that I did on the subject of sanctification, if you were to take some time to listen to those programs, I think that this subject would be much more clear to you in terms of the failure that you are definitely guaranteed to experience through that. So let me start from a different perspective, and that has to do with a different kind of sin, a different kind of encumbrance that we should put aside. I believe that this sin has to do with the sin of unbelief. You see, the people in chapter 11 were not recognized as being people of faith because of their obedience or their repentance. They were recognized as being people of faith because they believed their God. That's why they were people of faith. That was the sin that they overcame. They overcame the sin of unbelief by believing in their God. And because they believed him, they were recognized as people of faith. They were recognized as people who were righteous. At the end of chapter 3, in Hebrews chapter 3, I spoke about this as well, that the reason why the people did not enter into the promised land was because they would not believe their God. It was because of their sin of unbelief. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer speaks of the sin of unbelief in the sense of not believing that Jesus has died for all of your sins, especially in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 27 and 28, where it says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What was that truth? That was the truth that Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins. And if you're not going to receive that knowledge of the truth, and if you're not going to believe that, that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins because he is the sacrifice for our sins, then you are sinning willfully, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, that the sin is the unbelief in the forgiveness that you have. In verse 27, this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27, it then says, But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. You are then an adversary. 
anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve? Doesn't mean he's going to get it, but that he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. This was a very powerful statement that the writer made in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 29, that the sin that a person needed to overcome, that they needed to endure against, is the sin of not believing in the complete forgiveness of sins. And certainly the Hebrews were struggling with this. They were really struggling with this because if you would believe that your God no longer holds your sins against you anymore, then the law has no place in your life anymore. It will have no place because the law will have accomplished its purpose. It will have accomplished the perfect purpose for which it was given for. The law says, obey or die, obey or be punished. And if there is no more punishment, if there is no more punishment that can be experienced because Jesus has taken it all, then there is no longer any law. It has been accomplished. It has been fulfilled. It required obedience or death. Jesus died on your behalf, and he obeyed on his own behalf. He fulfilled the law in that respect. And so if you will believe that the law was given for the purpose of leading you to Christ and not for the purpose of guiding you after you have come to Christ, then you can be a true believer in the law, in the Old Covenant, and you can be a true believer in the New Covenant, which is what you live under after that, that there is another way of life, another way of living. And the Hebrews were not really believing in the Old Covenant. They were believing in this other idea that they had concerning the Old Covenant, that it was something that applied to them even though they believed in Jesus as the Messiah. That's what they were believing. But it didn't anymore. It doesn't anymore. It no longer has a place because its purpose was to bring you to the Messiah so that you can walk in a different covenant. Those who truly believe in the Old Covenant would recognize that. But those who do not truly believe in the Old Covenant would want to still hang on to it when it has passed away and it no longer has a place. Because there is a new way of life, a new way of living, and that is to be led not by the law, but by the Holy Spirit of God. And of course he's not going to lead you into sin. Of course I recognize that. But he's not going to lead you into obedience or repentance either. He's going to lead you into something else. He does lead us into something else. And that is a life that has to do with living with the love and the acceptance that our God has for us. It has to do with living with the inheritance that we now have. It has to do with Him meeting the deepest needs of our hearts so that we can easily say no to the temptations of life that we are confronted with because He meets our needs, because He is our God. That's what the new covenant is. So again, in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, where it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us who believed their God, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. There are sins. Not believing in the complete forgiveness of sins is a sin. As was described in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, that if that's what you believe, if you don't believe that the sin issue between you and your God is over, then you have nothing to look forward to but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries of God, which you are in that context. 
You must be amongst those who are people of faith if you are going to experience him for who he truly is. That is the sin which you must set aside that will entangle you. That is the sin that entangled the Hebrews. It is the sin of not believing in the complete forgiveness of sins. It is the sin of believing that your God still holds your sins against you as is reflected in your life as you try to live a life of repentance and obedience. There is another way of living and that is not it. That is why I believe he says in verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That is where we are to place our attention. We are to place our attention on what he did for us, not on what we do for him. And if you get your eyes off of him, it's going to be placed right on you. That's the only place to put it. And what that's going to mean is, how are you doing, brother? How are you doing, sister? How are you doing with your sin? Are you overcoming your sin? Are you enduring in your life of obedience? Well, of course you're not. Of course you're not. And because of that, you are going to be judged. That's the only way that you can think in those terms. That's the only place you can go. And what's worse than that is that because of that, you're not really accepted by your God, are you? You're not really fully acceptable to your God. I mean, you might be from a positional point of view, but definitely not practically. Not practically speaking at all. From a practical point of view, your God is disgusted with you. And so because of that, the need that you have to be loved, the need that you have to be accepted, you're not going to get these met by your God. And so go out into the world. That's all that you've got left is to go out into the world and find it from other people. Find it from other people and other circumstances of life. Find it in the things that you can accomplish or the things that you can experience or the things that you can do or the people who you can find. That's all you've got left because you do not have your God and you're not going to get it from Him because your attention has been put on your own obedience as opposed to His complete obedience. You must fix your eyes on Him and that is the race to run. That is the endurance now. According to the New Covenant, the endurance, the race that we are running, is not a race of trying to stop sinning. It is a race of trying to stop sinning only in the sense of we must believe, we must trust, we must live our daily lives being thankful for what he has already done. Not living our lives saying no to sin, but saying yes to Jesus saying yes to what he has to give to you, saying yes to what he has for you, saying yes to what he has already accomplished for you, and living a life of thankfulness for what he has already done. As soon as you start thinking in terms of what you're going to do, as soon as you start thinking in terms of how are you going to say no to the temptations of life, you're done. It's over. You have failed in this race. You have gone off on some other track. You are no longer enduring. You are no longer living according to the new covenant. You must say yes to the Lord Jesus and you must take all that he is giving to you and you must live with what you have. Only then will you endure in the way that he's describing. Only then will your eyes be placed where they belong. And only then will he meet the deepest needs of your heart. And only then, after that, Will you say no to the temptations 
of sin in the life that you are still in. Only then will that be real. Continuing again in verse 2, that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was this joy? To say, oh, this is exciting. Let's experience a crucifixion. No, not that. The joy of what he's going to be able to accomplish and the joy of now having a people who he can truly love and who can be loved by him because of what he has done. That is the joy that is set before him, that he can have a people who can now know him for who he is. He despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Now let me look at that very closely for a moment in verse 3 and in verse 4, where he says that they have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in their striving against sin. What sin? First of all, you could say against the sin of unbelief. But in another context, you can also say striving against the sin of other people's unbelief. You see, the Lord Jesus was crucified because people would not believe in him, because people didn't believe in him. He was crucified because people set him up to be crucified. That's why. And the reason why they set him up to be crucified was because they didn't like him. And they didn't like what he stood for. And they didn't like what he testified of. They didn't like what he believed. That's why they had him killed. That's why they arranged things in such a way that he would be killed. And they sinned by doing that, certainly. It was absolute murder. And certainly not every Jew was a participant in that. You can't look at this and say all the Jews are guilty. You can't say that. That's not real. It never has been real and it never will be real. That is a complete figment of people's imagination. You have to understand that it was many years after the early church was born that people even recognized that a Gentile could actually be saved. It was assumed that only Jews could be saved up until Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. It was then recognized by the church that a Gentile could actually be saved. Before that, it was assumed that if a Gentile wanted to be saved, they had to first convert to Judaism. But that is another subject. What I want to get into right now is the fact that the Lord Jesus resisted their unbelief. He resisted their sins and continued to stand up for the truth. And as a result, they decided, the people decided, to continue to sin against him and had him executed. Now understand, in verse 3, he says, Consider him consider the one who endured such because they would know they would know fully they would understand very clearly that if they would believe in the complete forgiveness of sins if they would believe in what jesus fully did for them then they would set the law aside they would put it aside it would have no place in their life anymore and what would happen to them if they did that what could happen to them if they did that especially if they asserted the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, especially if they spoke about what he has accomplished for us and they spoke about the new covenant as the Apostle Paul spoke about the new covenant, what would happen to these Hebrews? Well, the religious Hebrews who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah would then persecute them and may very well kill them as they did to many people. Stephen, as one example, there were many people who died because they testified not only of the Lord Jesus, but also 
they testified of the implications of what he actually accomplished for us. That was what got these people so upset to the point where they were willing to commit murder. And if that was the case, then the Hebrews would definitely be confronted with that. The Hebrews, who were the recipients of this letter, would have to think seriously about that. Are we really going to believe in what Jesus has actually done for us? Are we really going to fix our eyes on him, who is the author and perfecter of faith? And are we really going to testify of what he has really done? Because if we do, then we may suffer as he suffered. We may do that. We may suffer just like the Apostle Paul suffered and some of these other guys who believe the message that he presented concerning what the new covenant really is about. We may suffer like they did. And yes, that's the point. That's the issue. That's why the writer writes what he writes here. He writes this in Hebrews chapter 11 saying, Yes, many people accomplished great things. Many people experienced great miracles of God. But there were other people who suffered. And yes, you may also suffer, but the Lord Jesus also suffered, and so don't be surprised if you suffer as he did. If the people hated him, they're going to hate you also. But they're only going to hate you if you believe something different than what they believe. And the Hebrews were not making that transition. And this is an admonition to make that transition. Lay aside the sin of unbelief in the complete forgiveness of sins as he expressed in Hebrews chapter 10. Lay that aside. Stand up for what he has truly done for you. Stand up and proclaim the new covenant for what it is. Stand up and say, yes, there is another way of life that is much greater than the life under Moses, than a life of just trying to get all of the sin out of your life and trying to be obedient to God. There is another life, another way of life, a life of rest and peace in what he has done. And through that, through his indwelling presence, he will change us from the inside. He will transform us within our very being through meeting the needs that we have. Let him do that and allow him to conform you to his image. The people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 did that. That's how they were recognized. Be recognized in the same way today. And don't be taken off the track of this race by being led away through obedience to commandments or repentance from sins. That has no place in our life anymore. There is another way of life that has nothing to do with that, that has to do with peace and rest that we now have because of what he's already done. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may